Hey everyone, John Agroni here. I know this is usually the part of the show where celebrated and world-famous film critic Will Ashton and I drop into your podcast life and start talking about a movie you've probably heard is terrible but still want to see, and then like three or four other movies you've never heard of, but you keep listening to the show because of Will's tender bass tones and my choir boy's sensibilities. However, I do have an announcement. From this point forward, Cinemaholics will no longer be a podcast dedicated to championing the films you don't even know you want to see. As it turns out, everyone's favorite movie theater employee turned film critic Will Ashton showed me a deliberate and probably well-planned out PowerPoint presentation that convinced me that Cinemaholics is leaving money on the table. Which table is that? Well, it's the turntables and oh how they have turned. That's right. Pop culture writer for the stars, William Ashton, and me, that guy who's verified on Twitter for some reason, have decided to become full-time DJs. You're probably wondering, whoa, like DJ Tanner from Full House and Fuller House? No, not that DJ. Here's the deal. Will the Kill and me, John the Sheep, are taking Cinemaholics to the pulse-pounding sensation that is the club circuit in 2021. We're going to be throwing the coolest parties and the hottest get-downs and turnarounds for all those who are vaccinated. You might be thinking, wait, I thought you and Will smashed in were taste makers, not taste mixers. And that's definitely still true. We just won't be sharing our street-smart reactions to ground-level films any longer. Because, let's face it, the center of American pop culture is no longer the cinema, which is what we learned this past weekend with the 2021 Oscars that nobody watched. So I'd like to be the first to welcome all of you to our new show, now rebranded The Pop Boys, starring Will and Jay. Will, take it away. Uh, John? Yeah. Where do you find the time to do all this stuff? You mean like the, uh, like the stuff before the show? Yeah, like what's your problem? What are you trying to like, accomplish here? Uh, I don't know. Um, do you just want to like not? Uh, I don't want to, not want to, not, you know. Welcome once again to... Yeah, okay, hold on one second. Welcome once again to Cinemaholics, where we talk about the biggest and best films coming to theaters and streaming online. From the San Francisco Bay Area, I'm John Negroni, chief editor of Cinemaholics, film critic for Awards Watch, and Flawless Victory happened to be my nickname when I was a kid, dreaming about one day being popular. From Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, he's a pop culture writer for Cinema Blend, and he's phoning in live from space where he accidentally stowed away on a mission to the super pink moon. It's Will Ashton. Hey there. You can find more episodes of Cinemaholics, including our full archive on cinemaholics.com. That's also where you will find written reviews, bonus content, our merch page where you can buy Cinemaholics hoodies and shirts, all that fun stuff. 
And don't forget, if you'd like to correspond with us, you want to send us a message, just say, hey, send us an email. Our email is cinemahawkspodcast at gmail.com. And if you'd like to become a patron of our show, help us support it and keep the lights on, definitely head on over to patreon.com slash cinemaholics. Please take a look at the show notes if you want to find links to everything I just said and more. This week on the show, we are going to be talking about a few movies. Big surprise there. The big movie this week, of course, is Mortal Kombat and HBO Max, Warner Brothers happens to be in theaters kind of thing. But we're also going to be talking about a new Netflix space movie and a fun little indie kind of rom-com. But maybe without the rom, who knows? We'll talk about all that coming up on the show. But first, the Oscars just happened. Now, Will and I did an Oscars episode already. It was if we picked the winners, our annual get together where we just sort of pick the winners ourselves so you can definitely check that out if you want to hear who we think should have won of course the actual oscars happens we know who won at this point but it was a pretty big moment for movies normally we wouldn't talk about the ceremony we just kind of move on but this is kind sure. of a monumental year wouldn't you agree yeah i mean i'm curious in what sense you mean monumental are you talking more about the ceremony itself or who won are you talking about a little bit of both uh what All exactly are you yeah, I was going to say, because, I mean, historically, yeah, there's been a lot of major wins, and it is interesting that we are now coming to a point now where it feels like um, like there's, like, old the old academy or, like, the traditional academy, and then, like, the new academy that's coming in that's a little bit more, it's younger, it's a little bit more international, it, it's a little more eclectic in terms of, like, people and different fields working, different backgrounds, different tastes, and it, it, it does feel like the last... Um, few years have seen that kind of give and pull where it's like you know like a movie like parasite won last year but the year before green book won and now we have nomadland which kind of feels like somewhere in between and it's definitely yeah. i mean i mean for me it's interesting i don't know how interesting it is for other people but uh it does kind of represent a, a shift in the academy's perspective but at the same time there are different uh awards and different recognitions of uh represent a, a kind of more traditional Hollywood still creeping in there. For instance, something like Mank winning two Oscars, which I mean, I really like Mank, but that does kind of feel like a uh, old Hollywood or old Academy uh, coming in there and, and getting a last hurrah. So it is, uh, it's an interesting time for the Academy. Yeah. You know, they, this was definitely a version of the Oscars where almost every film major film nominated for best picture one of the big awards got something out of the night with the exception of trial of chicago 7 i mean it, it got sure. nominated for a bunch of things i don't think it took a single award home not very many people were probably oh. disappointed including sasha baron cohen who you know i'm sure is mm -hmm. pretty happy with uh, how things turned out for borat too sure I, I think it took the oscar for biggest loser <laughs> there you uh, go yeah that's about it Rough Night for Netflix, you know, mentioned Mank, but then, yeah, also Trial of Chicago 7, and uh, so it, it had a lot of film. Ma Rainey's Black Bottom didn't even get nominated for Best Picture, and then, of course, Chadwick yeah. Boseman and Viola Davis both lost in the the two big acting categories. The Chadwick mm -hmm. Boseman loss was massive, massive upset, and well, yeah, it was a weird night. Uh, they, mm -hmm. they clear, so Steven Soderbergh directed the whole thing. Produced And it. produced it, yeah, you know, kind I of I don't like, think he directed it. I, I thought he think. directed the first part of it with uh, Regina well, King. Well, he directed the... You're talking about like the cold opening? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he might have directed that. I don't exactly know. But um, yeah, I mean, that, that felt like his style. And, and throughout the show, there was definitely a clear effort to make this a little bit more cinematic in a way that I found... I think interesting more in retrospect than while I was watching it. But it is it was an interesting ceremony in that regard. 
interesting. I, I personally found it pretty boring for the most part. I absolutely well, too, hated. But yeah. They didn't have like they didn't show a lot of clips. I thought that yeah, it that was, was extremely awkward to instead of showing like especially for like the best supporting actors and all of that, instead of showing the actors doing their thing, we have like yeah. Laura Dern like praising them in uh, this stifled kind of room. And I know they've kind of done that in the past before where they've just sort of like gone on and on about some of the nominees. But I thought it was just very weird here and it clearly didn't work oh, yeah. because the Oscar ratings were still tremendously low. <laughs> I mean, I think they dropped yeah. 58% from last year. Well, I mean, I think that approach would have been interesting in a year where more than nominees were widely seen, but this is a year where like, you know, most of the nominees weren't, that well it's widely seen at this point because I, I guess either because the movies themselves weren't as accessible or because theaters weren't open or whatever well, reason people, people didn't care about these movies yeah, i mean there, there were some yeah. really great movies here but i mean this there's no in the heights there's yeah. no i mean even like west side story or something like that that's like this big like bombastic hollywood movie that everybody shows up for uh, the, I mean, the Oscars have been kind of missing that a, a lot lately. Last year, I guess Joker was the big thing that brought well, some Parasite attention. Too. And well, par that's the thing, though. Parasite was such a film critic darling. And this year we have yeah. that. We had, you know, Minari and we had Nomadland. You know, we had sure. The Father. These films that are like film critics love them. But there was sure. no like, oh, my gosh, this is a masterpiece classic yeah. film that's going to break all the barriers. I, we didn't no, really have um, that this year. Yeah, no. Once upon a time in Hollywood, like a film that that kind of bridges the gap between sure. general audiences and film critics and uh, general movie lovers. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I would agree with that. And it's definitely reflected, you know, just in us doing the show. I mean, this Oscars, I think, is a, a perfect representative ceremony of last year in film in terms of lots of films that are really great and respectable, but clearly there is just a massive disconnect between pop culture and like where people are at with cinema because if you just look at what you and i have been doing the last year it's been so stark the difference in some of the episodes that we do we do these episodes about some of these amazing movies and we have these great conversations and our our downloads have just gone way down for some of those episodes but the ones that sure. like stand out like where we do see a lot of traction a lot of people listening are for like Tenet, you know, yeah. which was not exactly, you know, like the, the 2020s most interesting movie. Is that fair to say? I like Tenet, but uh, yeah, sure. I can, I can get what you're saying. I don't know. I guess uh, this was a very cathartic Oscars and maybe a, a different sense for me. And I, I kind yeah. of only passively watched it. I just had a hard time connecting, but I am really happy with a lot of the first that came in with this. I, I think like soul winning was really great, but uh, you know, I, I was disappointed that Ken Powers wasn't there on stage. Yeah, that was weird. Very strange. And it's great too, you know, like Chloe Zhao's, I think only the second woman to ever win best director and, and uh, first, first woman, woman of color. Yeah. And uh, Frances McDormand being celebrated was hey, sure. You know, she, she won yeah. another Oscar. That's fun. Yeah, I mean, I, I like the energy she brought to it. Um, it was like a mix oh, yeah. of like, kind of like snark and like being a hard ass, but also like kind of being into it. And I was like, that 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 kind of seems representative of what the Oscars are like this year. I think she was on the right page. Uh, everyone else, howl. maybe not. Yeah. Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think what's going to be remembered about this year's Oscars is just the big kerfuffle at the end. 
which was obviously, I mean, it, it just kind of felt like a bunch of dominoes that were being built up. And, uh, you know, hindsight is 2020. And, and it, in retrospect, it's easy to see where this all went wrong. But seeing that that big, uh, big uh, accidental uh, letdown of an ending happen, it, it just it, it that's going to be kind of one of those things that's going to be dissected for years to come, kind of like, you know, like who was in the know? Is this like, you know, like was this planned in any way? And I don't think it was. I think they all yeah. the producers and whatnot, they they think they genuinely thought that Chadwick Boseman was going to win, even though there was, you know, predictions from uh, other people leading up to this ceremony being like, I don't know, Anthony Hopkins, he's getting a lot of buzz. A lot of people are voting for him because they, be they fair, assume that, Will, uh, we, we yeah. got we got to point out. I mean, look. They plan. They probably planned this a long time ago, probably before the voting even started. That is most likely. I, I don't. I don't sure. think that this was something they decided in like the last week. I think it's something they I don't expected. Think it was either. I think they expected Bozeman to win, and we have to remember that the father, you know, it was released extremely late, and Anthony yeah. Hopkins didn't even get like his first, you know award for any like off the circuit until what a few weeks ago and so like yep. people kind of thought bozeman had this on lock and rightfully oh, so sure. it wasn't until the very last second that people were like well hold on you know hopkins just wasn't up and some of the other like he he could have won a lot of other things but then i think he won the bafta if i'm not mistaken mm -hmm. which was a huge huge predictor this year i think all the bafta yep. correctly predicted most of the top categories this year so just saying i i, I think that it was on their part not that unreasonable to assume that Bozeman I'm not had that. this. I'm not saying that. Sure. I'm just saying they hedged their bets and they lost enormously. Uh, I agree on that. <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, just like they they took a huge gamble. They like you know, like you were saying, like they assumed, like most people, that Chadwick Bozeman was going to win to the point where they rearranged the whole ceremony. Um, and you know, in some respects, I don't mind that. Like, I thought it was kind of interesting to do best director midway through the show. Like, that was an interesting choice, and for me, that that felt like uh, a kind of interesting direction for like some people, you know, who only watch, you know, like half the show, either because like you know they they can only watch it because um they fall asleep or like you know like they they don't commit to it that much to see a big a win like a big win like that midway through was actually kind of an interesting decision and uh, little things I, like I, that I, I, with that yeah i didn't like though that they put off supporting actor and supporting actress i think it was weird was to weird. start with the screenplays yeah i mean just a lot of things about this year was a gamble i think more there were more misses and hits but I do admire them for at least trying to do something different. But I agree with you that watching the ceremony, it was mostly a pretty dull, tedious affair. I think it's just more interesting to talk about in retrospect. Like the, the decisions that they made, I think were interesting. I just don't think the show itself really amounted to a super entertaining or worthwhile experience. I do want to say real fast, because I, I was going to mention this a second ago, but I just feel so bad, too, for Anthony Hopkins. Man, you know, like it's not his fault. He did a great job in The Father. That is a great performance. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I know you're not, but I know some people are, you know, taking this out on him. And then I know some people are kind of like being very defensive for him and all that stuff and, and being like, well, he was clearly the best. Well, hold on. Like, no, there's nothing clear about it. It's a very subjective thing. And he's already won an Oscar before. And, you know, this could have been a big moment for an actor who we lost far too soon. And what ended up being it. I mean, yeah, his performance in Malvini's Black Bottom, I'm, I feel comfortable saying it was his best performance, and that's that's not yeah, an great. easy thing to do for considering Bozeman's career. True. So 
I, I just personally, I feel bad for everybody involved, uh, I, guess, I guess, except for Steven Soderbergh. And I, I especially am upset with Steven Soderbergh for who, I, for signing off. I don't know whose fault it is, but that in memoriam actually made yeah, me angry. Yeah, that was angry. tough. Yeah, that, that was, was tough. T- It was extremely rushed. It, the song choice made no sense. And they skipped over tons of people who deserve to be up there. And my thing is, look, I love you, Lil Rel Howery. I love you, Questlove. You guys are always on my list of like the wedding invites but <laughs> here's oh, wow. here's the deal we'll, we'll see what me. happens they haven't rsvp'd yet <laughs> but look just saying just cut the game out and make the in memoriam an extra five minutes like that's not yeah. hard to do and i think that would have been much more appreciated well that's a weird thing too is that like it kind of felt like a lot of the show was like a work in progress like we were saying before like for the first half of the show they didn't show any clips then like in the later categories they did show start start the show clips and then like there's like that game show thing so it kind of felt like you know Soderbergh and his team had like a vision for the show that was like very stripped down very like in the room like kind of like keeping in that tight bubble and then someone kind of poked their shoulders like hey you gotta show some clips and stuff like people aren't watching so they started to show clips and then like three-fourths of the way through is like you know like we didn't really have any like skits or anything people kind of like that stuff uh you know like who do we got on hand it's like well Lil Ray Howard's gonna present can you do like a game or something like like a game what do you mean like yeah you know like do something like with Questlove, you know, like you can kind of like do like a, like a pub re- like guessing song thing. It's like, we're not really prepared for this. Like, yeah, he's an improviser. You can figure it out. Quick, go to um, Andrew Day. I'm sure yeah. she'll, she'll say something really nice about the Oscars sure. and, <laughs> you know, and then finish with She's Glenn Close because Glenn Close <laughs> yeah. will be super befuddled. She won't even know how to yeah. answer, you know, and she definitely won't dance. So, <laughs> you know, we don't have to worry about the conservative folks watching. I don't know. Well, I, that's, it's a theory. I, I think they had a lot of contingency plans probably sure and i mean yeah I don't they know. they probably pulled a few levers to be a little bit more improvisational i i can get a, I, I can subscribe to that theory i don't know i mean I, I would be curious to hear kind of like a behind the scenes uh breakdown of like what happened because i don't think this was like a like huge disaster outside of the ending like i think most of the show was just like kind of middling like some like i said some interesting decisions some things i don't agree with but i can respect their desire to do something a little bit different and then like leading up to the end where just like all these like crazy things just started happening in a way that was just like you know like it just was so starkly different than the uh you know like two or three hours before that where it was just like fairly mundane like you said kind of like a lot of boring decisions that that didn't really pay off and then like just like you know just a lot of odd haphazard things started happening in like the last 30 45 minutes that did that uh, resulted in a uh, very odd turn of events for the award for the Academy sure. Awards. Yeah. And look, I'm, I'm happy with a lot of these wins. Uh, the big one for me was Ya Jung Yoon. You know, I, I predicted it yeah, that was a nice several one. months ago. And I remember I was I was one of the lone voices out there being like, I think she could actually win Best Actress. And people were telling me, John, you fool. She won't even be nominated. So it, what what a heck of a moment when she got to go up there and just win that freaking award. I was so happy for her. Uh, what a, for, what a, yeah. What a career achievement. Yeah, I'm happy for her and I'm happy for her new lover, Brad Pitt. Yeah, that was weird. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that whole thing. And then the last thing I'll say to you, it's like I didn't miss the the big performances. I definitely didn't miss the skits. So for me, if like this is, I mean, the clips thing, I de- definitely miss, and I think that needs to come back, Prano. But if not having all of those, in lieu of all that fluff, we get people actually giving speeches and not being cut off super early. Yeah. I, I was kind of into it. I mean, look, there are some people who are just not good at it. 
And I mm-hmm. think the Academy should maybe tighten that stuff up a little bit and be like, look, you, you only have two minutes. But, but you know, jo- Joaquin Phoenix said, I don't care what, what you think you saw. Like, you you get mm-hmm. two minutes, dude. Like, that's it. Thank your parents and you're done. And then Daniel, Daniel Kaluuya gets 10 minutes because he actually is going to make some headlines. So that's that. That's sure. where I'm at. Yeah, I mean, like, if uh, you know, like, I think back to, like, that, um, the the speech that the director of Another Round gave, which, you know, like, the second half of it was so, like, Fantastic. you know, impactful and, like, you know, so heartbreaking. And, like, I just imagine, like, in another award show, like, that he probably would have gotten cut off before he could even share that. Exactly. Um, and, you know, like, yeah, I think, like I was saying before, I think there's stuff here that works and there's just stuff that I think they, they had kind of a trial and error process that, you know, if they tried to do something different, it didn't work. So I wouldn't be opposed if uh, Soderbergh and his team came back, even though I was, you know, I've, I've been pretty critical of what they did. I wouldn't be opposed to them coming back. If they, you know, learned because, you know, Soderbergh, he's an adaptable guy. You know, he he takes his punches sometimes if, he, if things his experiments don't work out. And then he comes around and he does something, you know, fantastic later on. And I, I would be willing to see him do it again. You know, like kind of learn like, hey, you yeah. know, bring the clips back. But, you know, the speech things worked out and, you know, kind of uh, keeping the show kind of compact. And, uh, you know, like you said, not doing kind of the fluffy like montages and extended skits and like awkward banters and stuff like that. But. Yeah, I mean, like it, it's a right. Some of the stuff here is the right idea. Just I think the approach wasn't quite there. But if they, you know, buffered it out and kind of figured it out, you could, you could get a pretty good show here. Yeah, but you know, word of warning to the Oscars: do not hire me or Will. Don't take our advice. You don't know what you would be. I mean, initiating there. Just don't do it. I work for the cheap, so you know. I mean, hmm. if you want, if you want me around, you know, <laughs> I'm around. All right. Uh, also, I want to plug a movie before we start reviewing stuff, and we, we don't have time to review uh, this one in full. But a movie? Wow. A movie, I know. Wow. Almost forgot what that's like. Wow. You know, and we're about to talk about a movie that I, frankly, I'm, I'm a little nervous because I've, I saw it last Wednesday, and I don't know if I'm going to be able to remember any of it, but I'll try. That's a good start. But a movie that I did see a while ago, like, you know, early last week, and I remember it very well because it was a good film like good you know capital g was we broke up and i first thing i'm going to say it's not a great movie you know that's it's it's pretty low-key but i i had a nice time watching this one it's fun it's called we broke up and it's like a it, it's not really a comedy it's like a hangout movie you know like uh drinking buddies you're just hanging out with those characters you're like all right where is this headed it's like that kind of thing you're like hanging out with these characters there are some comedic moments the whole premise is uh stars i cash and william jackson harper they've been together for a long time the movie kind of opens with them breaking up because he wants to get married and she pukes on him as soon as he proposes and so that's the setup and then they have to go to a wedding and they have to pretend that they're still together because it would be inconvenient and it's just difficult because they have they they still are like oh what do we do in this situation and it's, it's kind of about how couples or former couples like you know used to be so comfortable around someone then you're not anymore and what sells this movie definitely the chemistry with the leads or even the lack thereof the really interesting characters this is a movie that's like all about make the characters pop make the characters interesting even the side characters are really fun here we have tony cavallero as this this kind of like weird dude kind of you know groom who 
he has an energy that I was very against early on, but he really comes around. And I, I just like the the stakes in this movie. It, it felt like a movie with real people in it, but because the stakes are kind of low, I could see some people watching this and being like, yeah, what was the point? It's uh, definitely not the most eventful thing. But I also appreciate that it's you, normally this kind of movie would take place in L.A., and it would be at like a hotel and it would just be this like ah, super heightened experience. We've seen so many wedding movies like that, but instead of that kind of aesthetic, they did this in, or I mean, I don't know where they shot it, but it actually takes place in the Ozarks. You know, it's middle America. It's, uh, it's at a Paul Bunyan summer camp and it, it's played for last because the whole joke is that the bride wants to have the wedding there because that's where she had her first period and she thinks it's romantic. And it's like, okay, look, that, and that may not be technically a funny joke, but I do really like that joke. It's a very weird energy this movie has. Very chill, but, you know, it's not a run out and risk your life to see it kind of movie. It's a look, you could rent it right now for 99 cents, or it just happens to be on a streaming service. I say it's worth a look. So I, I dug We Broke Up. I, I ended up being like a kind of a low B on it, but definitely a, a, a B for broke, but not that it's broke, but it might break your heart because it broke mine in some ways in a good way but yeah all right that's it good deal all right but let's let's talk about some stuff we both have seen sure our first big movie of the week happens to be one of one of the big movies on warner brothers slate for 2021 i have to Mm -hmm. be honest i kept forgetting that this movie was gonna come out (laughs) i think warner brothers did too yeah it's kind of weird too that it's coming out so soon after godzilla versus kong well, that's the thing, right? Because like they didn't really start advertising this until like a few months ago, right? I don't, I don't, I didn't see any ads for this. I didn't see a trailer. Yeah, I didn't. I, the only time I only heard about this from critics being mm-hmm. like, "Oh, hey, you know, like we're gonna go watch Mortal Kombat, or like we're getting our screeners soon." I'm like, "That's coming out like this month." <laughs> okay. Yeah, no, that's um, that's how I felt a few months ago when they, like, I heard about a Mortal Kombat movie and I was like, "Oh, okay, I guess it's coming out in like the fall or something." And it's like, "Hey, it's coming out in April," and I was like, "Oh, okay, I guess this yeah. is a, a you thing." Sure? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Now, there, this is the third one. So there there were two Mortal Kombat movies in the 90s. The video game, of course, came out, Sega and Nintendo and all that. But, you know, Sega was where it was at. Sega had, like, the, the violence and the it had the, the blood and everything. And, you know, well, we were alive during this time. Did you play Mortal Kombat ever? I played it a few times. Um, I know I'm the resident, like, guy who doesn't play video games too much, but um, I am, you know, a little well-versed in the quote-unquote, like, classic video games and i have played mortal Kombat at least on a few occasions i i don't know if i've gotten past the first few levels but uh i i've done enough to where like you know i, I kick the other opponent enough to where i get to the next round and then the subsequent round i, <laughs> I get the patootie kicked out of me and didn't have to start over but um yeah i mean you know like it's a fun little like kind of arcade game kind of thing um sure, yeah I, you know it's it, it, there's definitely a very easy silly goofy appeal to it um and uh for me i think the appeal is that it's very simple and and just uh very you know straightforward and the thing that i find so fascinating about these movie adaptations is that they seem to be so bogged down with lore and like (laughs) complicated convoluted storytelling mechanics that that take away from what i feel should be a pretty simple property (laughs) i feel like you know we say that because i would agree with you but i gotta be honest if i was the person making these movies i would probably try to do the same thing that they're doing but not from a sense of like we got to make it complicated but from a like 
oh, how could we make this come to life? Yeah, I've, I've always felt like these movies have like sincere intentions. Yeah. Like they just they just kind of want to make it work. But then I think what happens is they just keep adding stuff. Right. <laughs> because like it doesn't make sense like at a ground level. Like the framework doesn't make sense. So they just have to keep adding. Well, well hold on. They, they got to go to this location because that setting. Won't, but wait, why would they go to that location? Just, just add that into the script. I don't care. Like, I think that's what ends up happening. <laughs> Totally yeah. Well, I just feel but, like they always assume that like it's like so we have to do this, and it's just like they 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 feel the need to like constantly like add mm-hmm. things where it's just like I feel like the simpler approach would just be to like kind of keep this as like simple as possible, get people interested in it, and then kind of introduce the kind of complicated, weird lore stuff later on. But this movie seems to front load like it's adding all the lore stuff and then promising the kind of like you know fun like goofy silly things that you remember from the game but that's kind of putting the cart before the horse especially for a video game adaptation (laughs) speaking of putting the cart before the horse we're already reviewing the movie we haven't even set this thing up yet but i guess that speaks (laughs) sure i mean the the only other thing i'm gonna say before we actually talk about what the movie is i would say look if i was gonna make a mortal Kombat movie and nobody has to listen to me but i would make it kind of like a lego movie thing you know where or like a Wreck-It Ralph or do something that like leans into how silly the premise is and sort of bring the video game to the real world or just do something. I mean, look, not, not like Smurfs or anything like that, but I'm just saying like find a way to make the absurdity of it part of the story instead of playing it serious and straight. <laughs> Cause I just don't think that works. It, it just so, doesn't mm-hmm. mix. So what I'm getting is that you think Phil Lore and Chris Miller should produce the next um, Mortal Kombat movie. Look, I just watched the Mitchells versus the Machines, which they produced, and I am more convinced than ever that they should just be making all kinds of silly movies based on thing on premises that should not work because <laughs> like yeah. they're just so good at this. But whatever, that's that is not the conversation we're here for. We're here to actually talk about the movie as it is. Let's let's give mm-hmm. this thing a fair shake. I certainly, you know, started this thing off and I was like, look, I I don't have the highest expectations. I think the first two movies are really low rent i mean the first movie's fine i guess i I don't remember it very well the second one is like definitely a drinking game movie i mean if you're not watching that with your buds trashed i don't know what you're doing yeah i mean i've heard about i know it's it has a reputation of being not only one of the worst video game movies ever but possibly one of the worst movies ever which is i don't uh, know if i'd go that far it's a it's it's still you know, I, I don't know. It, it it's not like it's unwatchable, but it definitely. Like I, said, is so, I haven't seen it, so yeah, it, it's just so I'm, bad. I'm just it's going off. I think it's a so bad. It's fun to watch kind of movie, you know. But mm-hmm. look, I think it makes sense to to do another movie at this point because like they were gonna do a third one, but then Annihilation, Mortal Kombat Annihilation, the second one was a pretty huge failure didn't make money critics obviously hated it so the third movie was in development hell for a long long time so eventually they just decided we're we're gonna just reboot this whole thing which makes sense to me because the the big issue i think a lot of people had in the 90s with the the movies was it's mortal Kombat. you you can't make this pg-13 like you gotta you gotta up the violence here that's what people like about the games why would you take Mm -hmm. out one of the main things that makes the game stand out. Like people don't play the Mortal Kombat games because they like the characters that much, do they? I mean, I never thought they did. Well, yeah, because that's the thing for me. It's like, you know, like this movie is so fascinating and so in love with the characters. And it's just like, like I'm familiar with like Sub-Zero and Scorpion and whatnot, but like I don't really like have that much emotional investment in them or like care that much about their like plight. 
or whatever that would exactly be. And uh, yeah, I just like I'm watching this. I'm just like this movie really seems to think I'm I'm gonna care that much about like what happens to these characters and stuff. And I mean, I don't I don't mean that to like be like a rub because it's like I get like I think. I think the filmmakers genuinely care a lot about this property and I think they care about making a good video game movie, but I, I think it sort of backfires for them for reasons I'll discuss later. <laughs> I was going to say like, you are so ready to review this. Like we're not, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Uh, so again, it, it's a movie that is just trying to sort of reset the Mortal Kombat like franchise and the, the the franchise that kind of I think was kind of left in a place where you can't really salvage that. It makes sense. Do it now, twenty years later, well, nearly twenty years later, I should say. When, or actually, no, more than twenty years later because of math. Because um, I think yeah, Annihilation was ninety seven, so it's been twenty four years. Oh, but birthday. Yeah. After all of this time. Yeah. You can now I think have the room to make a Mortal Kombat movie that has some of the nostalgia baits, you know, you can really lean into a lot of the fan service, kind of do, you know, like a Mad Max, you know, Star Wars, yeah, you know, all those kinds of movies. Like those aren't really reboots necessarily, but they're like soft reboots, I guess. And the whole the yeah. whole point is that's like you remember Mortal Kombat, we're going to make a movie that's dedicated to that. And I remember seeing like a lot of people were watching this movie and being like, "Look, I get it. It's not an amazing film. It's not you know, going to be nominated for any Oscars or anything, but I love Mortal Kombat and this thing delivers on what I love about Mortal Kombat. And I say, that's great. I think, look, if you're, if you're a huge Mortal Kombat fan, if all you want out of a movie is to hear references to a thing you're already aware of, but done in a different medium, you are in luck because this thing is, this thing only cares about that. Yeah. <laughs> it cares about nothing else but making you happy. And there's, there's something kind of, there's something kind of sweet about that. If you ask me. Yeah. I mean that the term, like this isn't for the critics it's for the fans is thrown around a lot kind of arbitrarily at this point in a way that, you know, I, I find that kind that, that kind of argument kind of silly. Cause it's like, yeah, movies should theoretically be for anybody <laughs> like, you know, like, and, and film critics are often, you know, some of the biggest film fans out there, but I feel like this is one of those times where I'm like, yeah, this movie feels like it's for the fans in a way it's like, like it's, you know, made directly for the people who love this property, know all about it, care about the characters, like bring their own emotional baggage into this movie to the point where it's like, you know, like they're they're just kind of waiting to see the things that they they're familiar with, and they're just seeing it in live action in a big budget, uh, blockbuster fashion. And you know, like you're saying, like if you can get that out of the film, then you know, God bless. I'm glad you had that experience, but I feel like a lot of people are going to be left in the cold because of that as well. Yeah, and like there's there's nothing wrong with either situation. You know, you're some people are going to watch this and they're going to have a heck of a time. They really are. They're going to have so much fun. Other people are going to be a little bit more of like, what am I looking at here? <laughs> Whatever. Like, and they'll just be like, that was a movie, I guess. And I, I hope you're you're in the former camp because I, I, I would have loved to have more fun with this. But OK, so this movie's story, I, I guess we can sort of summate it. Uh, it's it's Mortal Kombat. The, the whole thing is that 
there are these realms or worlds or whatever, and there's this one realm, it's called Outworld, I guess, and it's full of evil people, and there's going to be this big tournament, this big death match, but you can't wait to see that in this movie, and it's going to happen, and it's going to be the evil Outworld people versus the Earth champions. And But wait, who are the Earth Champions? How do we find them? Well, you're an Earth Champion if you have the Mortal Kombat logo as a birthmark. But how do I get that? Well, the movie kind of says that there's like two ways, if I recall. So one way is that you're born with it. You know, it's like a lineage thing. And that's kind of like our main character's deal. You know, there's this kind of fun prologue. One of my favorite parts in the movie, actually, where it's like hundreds of years ago or something. And his ancestors, this ninja assassin master guy it was cool and i i thought that it was like a fun sequence we get introduced to sub-zero and there's this there's a mortal combat fight and you're like wow and but then we cut to the present and then there's there's other people who get the birthmark if you kill somebody who has the birthmark then you get it so there you go and the the story though is that we have this guy his name is cool young he's a new mortal combat character he's this mma fighter he's played by lewis tan and he kind of like falls in with the other Earth champions who are like, we got to we got to get together. We got to stop Sub-Zero and his goons. And, you're, and it's I don't know, it's like a Power Rangers episode, essentially. And they got to train and they got to figure out they have like these secret powers. You know, it's like if you have some sort of emotional moment, you know, it, you're going to have this power. You're going to be your special attack in the game. And it's not a combo. It's just, you know, you got to you got to go through some sort of plot device. And so that that's this movie is they they have to learn to become fighters. And there's some betrayals. There are some intense battles and some gory effects and references to the game's galore. My favorite thing about it was the fatalities, because this game understood that if you're not going to give me a really good plot, if you're not going to give me good acting and you're not going to give me special effects that immerse me in this universe, at least give me some fatalities that look sick. And I, I did get that. So I ended up rating the film much higher than I probably otherwise would have. But Will, sure. what do you, what did you think of Mortal Kombat? This is the first film by uh, what's his name? Simon McQuad, but it was produced by James Wan. What, what did you think about his first time to bat here? Well, I, I thought, I thought it was a valiant effort. I'll put it like that. Um, I think we're at a point now with video game adaptations where, like you're suggesting, they are being taken a little bit more seriously. Like before, you know, like they're obviously very cheap. They 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 kind of were thrown together haphazardly. Um, filmmakers like Uwe Boll would just you know make them on the fly and and use them and use like these properties to make movies through like some weird German tax loophole, and they would often be very disappointing. And now we're at a point where it's like. Detective Pikachu and um, Sonic the Hedgehog and now Mortal Kombat are like, I don't know if they're necessarily like good films, but they're a little bit more respectable. Like they, they have, you know, they they have fans in their corners. I certainly like um, Detective Pikachu. I think you were pretty fond of Sonic the Hedgehog or maybe you were about the same as where I was with Sonic the Hedgehog. I forget. Um, but um, certainly that film has gotten a pretty warm reception and we're kind of getting to a point now where it's just like, okay, yeah, people are willing to take these movies at face value. Like, they're not just kind of writing them off as like, oh, well, that's pretty good for a video game movie. It's just like, yeah, you know, like these are actually kind of becoming passable, decent uh, blockbusters. And I, I think for, like you're saying, like for like, you know, like about 45 minutes, that was like about the case 
here, but then the movie just gets so kind of bogged down in its own convoluted storytelling of introducing all these characters and representing all this lore and doing all these different things from the video game that clearly the fans are going to be familiar with and excited to see. And I'm not trying to take that away from them, but for someone like me, who is at best a passive fan of the property, it, it all becomes kind of uh, mind-numbing and uh, tedious after a point, especially considering that the style of the film doesn't really have a lot of pop or pizzazz. Like it, it does kind of feel like basically every other studio blockbuster at this point, like everything is kind of low, uh, like dimly lit. Like there's not a lot of visual pizzazz in the the filmmaking, and even the fights themselves aren't really that uh, inspired. I feel like they're all kind of closely choreographed and or uh cinematography i mean is kind of tightly chore or what's the word i'm trying to use <laughs> uh tightly, tightly framed sorry the, oh, okay. the, the the camera work is tightly framed but the they don't complement the choreography is what i'm trying to say sorry i'm a little oh, tired yeah, the, um, the, the camera work here is absolutely atrocious i I, yeah. I do not know like what the deep like if the dp was out sick the entire shoot and the director was like i don't know what i'm doing here Sure. But that's, yeah, sorry. What I was trying to say was that the choreography of the film, I think, is generally speaking fine. Like, sometimes it's even pretty good. Like you said in the opening scene, like the first fight with the Scorpion, I think it's pretty well choreographed. And that has probably some of the better shots of films where you can actually appreciate the choreography. But everything else is just so, like, tightly uh, photographed and, like, splicely edited in a way that, you know, it just doesn't really complement the fights. And, you know, it if that's all I'm really going to get out of this movie, even that's pretty subpar. So it's just like. You know, I, I just found it to be a fairly middling video game adaptation. Is it better than the Paul W.S. Anderson one? I, I guess. But I did also kind of find myself missing the kind of goofiness of that film. Or even the silliness of um, the animated one, which I actually happened to watch uh, a yeah. few months ago. Um, Scorpion's Revenge, I believe it was called. Um, yeah, I've, I've seen that. I've, I saw the 90s cartoon. I, you know, look, I think, I think what this movie's missing, that those movies had... With maybe the exception of Annihilation, it's just some charm, you know? There, there is a charm to the goofiness and the sort of like the small, of, uh, you know, or like the uh, the lower budget and everything like that. Here, there's like real effort. They put money into some of this. Like sometimes it, it, it definitely squeaks and you can tell like they cut some corners or maybe they had to, whatever. But I don't know, Will. I, I, think that, I think that this thing is just kind of missing a dose of that. It, it tries to find charm and all the nostalgia and everything. But I just because I, I don't I don't have that nostalgia. I don't have a connection to Mortal Kombat. That's all that special. I felt yeah. nothing from this. But other people right. are going to feel a lot because they don't need anything else. They just need the connections and, and all of that, which is nothing wrong with that. But I just I, I have to be upfront. Like if you don't think that's going to be for you, then you might have a miserable time watching this. Sure. I mean, comparing to something like Godzilla versus Kong, I don't think this movie is exceptionally worse than Godzilla versus Kong. But, you know, I, I do have an association with those two characters. And like when they're fighting together and stuff like that, I, I, I do get pretty excited and I find myself charmed by it. Granted, I also think that's a better film than this. But at the same time, I, I just find myself like... I, I, I even if I if I were to have some nostalgia for this property and, you know, I, I guess I have it to a fleeting extent, um, I still find myself pretty underwhelmed by the presentation of the film, which I, I find, like I said, to be kind of haphazard in terms of like having a fairly messy story, uh, a convoluted introduction of different lore and characters that, you know, like it's just like basically a bunch of people introducing themselves what like cats or something where it's just like you know people are just constantly just coming in the movies like oh hey 
hey, I'm Kano, and oh, hey, <laughs> I'm Sub-Zero, and oh, hey, I'm this guy. And it's just like, okay, it's like, yeah, like, you know, maybe that would mean something to me if I, I had more reverence for the, the game. But, you know, like, as a kind of passive uh, fan of the property, I just find it to be... Uh, you know, I, I didn't really find it to be investing. I just found it to be a lot of explaining and stuff like that. And like you're saying, it's just like it's setting up for this big uh, Mortal Kombat, Kombat fight that feels like it's two or three movies away. And when I think about that, I just find myself exhausted. Yeah, and you know, we're probably underselling how people are reacting to this because like, this thing has an 87% audience score. And even critically, it's not that bad. It's got 54% on Rotten Tomatoes. And... I, I think a lot of that is just because people genuinely are looking at this and they're giving it a pass because they're like, I may find this to be a total bore. It may make so many cinematic mistakes and do so many things that are atrocious. But when I watched it in the moment, and this is other people, I think I had fun. I had a good time. I enjoyed it. I, I think that there is a power behind movies that are just able to wrap you up in their silliness and their sort of slavishness to a certain feeling or a certain like intertextual like you like this because it reminds you of something else it's it's star wars the force awakens a genuinely good film but i think that was my main issue with force awakens was that movie just leaned so hard on building itself emotionally upon other things that you already know about instead of like forging anything new and mortal Kombat, it, it, you know, to its credit, it tries to forge some new things. It creates a new character, but I, no disrespect to Lewis Tan. He's, he's a good actor. I think in other things, I just think that as a leading man here, this did not quite come together. And, and I, I was rooting for the guy. I really was. But I just like very uninspired kind of character set up there. And I, I just also find him as uh, I guess like a, as a leading man to just not really connect with the other characters. I mean, the, the, there were some other characters that kind of pop a little bit. I mean, what, what did you think of uh, Kano, the, the guy with the eye? Uh, I could done with less of him, <laughs> I felt. He's a fan uh, favorite, apparently. I mean, yeah. not in the games, I guess, but like people were like, "Yeah, this is my character." I think people are unironically being like, "He was, he was right." Um. Well, I'm, I'm happy for them. <laughs> all right. Well, that's about all I have left to say of Mortal Kombat. It's a uh, a C for me, which is a little bit higher than you'd probably expect. But I, I just got to say, I, I think that it's a entertaining movie when it needs to be, and it it could have been a lot worse, probably. And I think because I think a lot of people are going to watch it and enjoy it I, to some extent, even in an ironic fashion, it's not it's not something I feel comfortable just being like, it's terrible. It's an F, nothing like that, even though there are aspects of it that are F quality. Uh, to me, it's pretty fascinating that it still works on a few levels. So, uh, Will Ashton, <laughs> where were you at, though? I have a feeling you're going to be pretty low on this one. Uh, no, not really. I mean, I'm, I'm about a C as well. Um, but okay. like I was saying, I think. I think we're getting there with video game movies. Like it, it's it's coming along slowly, but we're we're starting to get to that point where they are becoming more competent, or they're coming more at least confident in their their filmmaking to a point where they can become more broadly accessible and respected by both audiences, general audiences, and uh, and critics. But um, I, I I do think with this one. It, it, it felt like it was trying to do a little bit too much at once. It was constantly trying to prove itself in a way that, that felt fairly detrimental because 
it was a lot of setup and not a lot to show for it. I felt like you know, like there are definitely cool moments. Uh, I I kind of wish the movie itself was actually just about Scorpion and Sub Zero because I found those moments to be way more investing than the the broad plot mechanics of it. If it was just a prequel about them and kind of setting up their arch rivalry, I think that would have been a pretty interesting film. Uh, because, you know, like like the beginning of the film is like, you know, it's kind of like old fashioned uh, martial arts movie, you know, done in a studio budget. And it's like kind of fascinating to see that from a Hollywood, you know, Western perspective. Um, and it's like, OK, you know, if we could do this for like 90 or so minutes, that that'd be actually kind of interesting to me. But um, alas, that's not exactly what we get here. But, you know, for what it is, it's it's uh, I guess watchable. But also I found it to be strangely kind of dull. Uh, strange in a sense that, you know, it's it's a movie about intergalactic martial arts tournament where people, you know, like they rip out each other's hearts and like, you know, sever people's heads and all this stuff. And uh, ultimately, I found myself uh, disengaged throughout most of it just because I didn't really have the emotional connection to to back it back it up and to care about these characters and the lore and whatnot. So yeah, it's an interesting misfire, I guess, to discuss. I, I don't think it's one I really want to revisit, but. Um, in terms of being a uh, step forward for video game adaptations, I guess there is something to respect there. I also do not plan to revisit this one, but we're probably going to have to watch a recap video at some point because I think the sequel is going to happen. This movie is definitely doing well in the box office. It's outperforming expectations. It, it had like a $50, $55 million budget. It's already made most almost all of that back in box office worldwide, which for COVID times is very impressive. So I think that Warner Brothers is really happy with this. I don't think that they were expecting it. Like, I don't think they were really feeling confident with this as for the reasons we discussed before. Of course, they are definitely setting this up for a sequel. To sort of get into that would be, of course, spoiling some things. But I'll just suffice it to say... I have a feeling the second movie could right some wrongs. Like, it could actually take some of the things that didn't quite work maybe with an improved budget they could actually like make this thing definitely come together a little bit more because i agree it's an interesting misfire there there are some good attempts here and i think that there there's enough goodwill i think this is going to earn with fans to get some energy behind a sequel that's even bigger and hopefully better so i'm gonna say uh, i'm i'm extremely cautiously optimistic that they could really make a second movie that definitely works but who knows it could also be the next mortal Kombat annihilation i i who who's to say but if you're going to check it out yourself it is now available to watch in theaters uh of course we always recommend you do so safely it's only 110 minutes long and you can also stream it on hbo max uh for i think another third i had a 25 days however long that is uh it's yep. going to their whole deal it's going to be available for a month starting last friday if i'm not mistaken mm -hmm. so that's how you can check it out now all right let's get into our next film here Let's talk about a new Netflix movie. They, they come at us so fast, we can't even keep up. But this next yeah. Netflix movie, a little different from the ones we've talked about recently, we have a hmm. sci-fi thriller film set in space. It's called Stowaway. And it's kind of like, uh, it's a little bit more of a grounded space movie than you would kind of expect from like these sci-fi space movies. Normally we get them and they're like, you know, like Life. You know, that movie with Jake Gyllenhaal. Oh, and all that. I never saw it. Yeah, well, I, I yeah, that's right. Uh, <laughs> I don't think you were here for that episode, but mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, well, that one was more of like aliens and and all of that. But Stowaway is kind of a more like analog. It's it's kind of like 
if you had like the Martian, it's, it, I don't know. It, it kind of reminded me of that where a problem happens and you have to do like science stuff to figure it out. It's like the TV movie version of like the Martian. Sure. Maybe if I, if not, not to make it, uh, make it sound like TV movies are necessarily bad or anything, but that was definitely my thought watching this. But yeah, the, the setup is it was directed by Joe Penna and it stars Anna Kendrick, Daniel Day Kim, Tony Collette, and Shamir Anderson. And we start with a group of astronauts who are going on a two year mission to Mars. And it's just three of them because the, you know, the, the journey is heavy, you know, they got fuel, they've got oxygen, they've got all this stuff. They can barely fit on this, this thing. And we open with the launch and it's kind of like happening in real time. It's a really cool sequence where they start, they have liftoff. We kind of see the procedures. We see how meticulous the crew is. Everything's going fine. They get up to the, the spaceship and then their mission begins. They're on their way. But then as misfortunes would have it, they find that they might actually have an unwitting stowaway on the ship, which raises a whole host of problems because that could kind of ruin the entire mission in more ways than one. And that's where we, that's where the film kind of goes from there. But yeah, it's a, it's a Netflix movie. And my first thought after watching this was, I really wish this had been a series. Like I really wish they had spaced space. They had spaced this out over like eight to 10 episodes. And it's all about like every episode, like dealing with other problems and figuring out like, oh my gosh, we didn't factor this in and we have to do this. But then also giving time to all these character relationships. All that to say, I really like this premise. I think that it, you could do a lot with this premise. You could make a, a whole series of it, you know, down the line someday on Netflix. But as a movie, I... I I thought it was okay. It's fine. What what did you think? Uh, well, I agree, I disagree in the sense that um, I actually was really admiring how simple this movie is in terms of its uh, execution. I actually didn't feel like it wasted any time or like it uh, needed to really dive too far beyond what we got here in terms of uh, fleshing out the characters or establishing dynamics that that weren't already seen through the characters' uh, interactions or just their general kind of body language. I, I felt like the movie was pretty smart about that stuff, and I, I actually really appreciate how well-paced this movie was throughout. Like, I remember I was, like, watching it, and I just thought, like, oh, you know, I guess, like, you know, 40 minutes or so has passed, and then I just checked the thing, and it was, like, already, like, an hour or so in. I was like, oh, wow. Like, you know, I, I was really appreciating, because like you are saying, it's, it's a kind of a slow burn film in terms of like, you know, not a whole lot happens for the first half. It's just a lot of like setup and then kind of just the general inciting incident happens. But even that happens in a sort of deliberate fashion. But it, it keeps itself moving in a fairly engaging way. And it's also impressive because the film only has four actors throughout. Like, it's not even like they don't even show like, you know, like a like video flashback of uh you know like their families back home or whatever it keeps everything to the ship and i i found that to be a pretty interesting and inspired touch as well oh, yeah one one of my favorite like little touches they did was whenever they're communicating with like the ground control which is like it's like a spacex kind of thing it's called hyperion and they hint that it's kind of this like privatized space program we never hear their voices like nobody's cast in that role it's just con it's just all we hear is their responses to what they're saying to each other. Yeah. And I loved that. That was one of my favorite things because yeah. it just, it says so much about the characters, the story, and the fact that they can communicate so much when you only hear half the conversation. I thought that was a brilliant move. 
Yeah, and also, I mean, I think the only time you actually hear them is at the beginning, like, when they are lifting off. And that also kind of helps you to, like, separate, like, how they're, you know, so far removed from Earth that, you know, like, that there is no, like, connection there. And that also helps to raise the stakes and then drive home the, you know, dramatic urgency of what's happening here for the characters. I thought I thought those were all very, you know, pretty smart decisions from a filmmaking standpoint. And it's not like things that are, like, you know, like, brilliant, like, oh, who could have thought of that? But, you know, like they, they are clearly from a, you know pretty thoughtful uh team of writer and directors and or i think one director and two writers so um yeah i mean i, I think those were you know some pretty inspired touches and you know it, it kept everything moving in a fairly uh economical way like this is a space movie but it's not a super high budget film i actually think netflix bought this from a like uh indie production if i'm not mistaken um i, I don't know if they were planning a well, theatrical rollout for this but sony originally got it uh, okay, Sony, Sony. Yeah, yeah. They originally got it from, um, gosh, I think a, an overseas production company because there's a lot of production companies behind this. Mm -hmm. So I think it was bouncing around. And I know this is, it was acquired by Netflix and Amazon uh, in Canada. So if you're in Canada and you're listening, you can actually watch this on Prime Video, not Netflix. So just putting that out there. But I guess to that point, at the same time, it does feel like a Netflix sort of thing. Like there was nothing about it where I was like, this isn't ne this isn't something I would expect to see on Netflix. But maybe that speaks more to how Netflix is like a conglomeration of tons of different IP and branded content. Yeah, I mean, I think it kind of goes for what you were saying before in that like what I find to be probably the biggest flaw of the film is that it just doesn't really have too much of its own identity or like a focus that that feels that unique to what it's exploring. Like we said, like it's not like this movie is like super derivative or anything. Like I can't really pinpoint another film where I'm like, oh, they did this and so much better. It's just that all the elements in here just feel like stuff we've already seen from other space movies and it just kind of feels like the type of film that Netflix would be like, if you like blank and blank and blank, you're gonna like Stoneway. Because yeah, you know, algorithm. Like they're, they're, yeah. So I mean, like I said, it's not a movie that's made by an algorithm, but it feels like a movie that, that is benefited by the algorithm because just like yeah, yeah. here is also a movie that is in space with people with faces that you know, like Tony Collette and uh uh on uh I was gonna say on affairs, Anna, but it's Anna Kendrick. Anna Kendrick. <laughs> um, <laughs> um but yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think it's pretty it's a pretty nifty film and I, I think it's done pretty well um and I was with it for I want to say like at least like 80 minutes of it what where I found myself kind of drifting off uh I guess almost fittingly was towards the end where I felt it kind of just made the the safe boring choice for the the final few moments in a way that's you know it's, it doesn't kill the movie or anything but I just found that decision to be a little predictable and, and safe and uh, I I kind of wish the movie took a little bit more risk in terms of the the end dramatic climax just because like there is a really you know smart and well done scene with Anna Kendrick where you know they they establish where it's going to go but it, it also kind of felt like we didn't really spend that much time with her to the point where it felt like that that I had like a big emotional catharsis for that last scene uh so i don't know maybe that's to your point where it's like if if we had more time spent with her in a series that could have been drawn out in a way that that really earned that final punch but it just kind of felt like okay you're setting this up so this is what's going to probably happen and like sure enough it's like okay that's what happened i guess that makes sense but look it it, it didn't do the thing that i hate which it it didn't remove consequences from decisions it didn't do a thing where it chickened out and I'm not going to give anything away, but I, I do think it's the right, I, like the ending is right conceptually, 
but you you kind of called it. I think that it just doesn't come together. Like it, it, there's something missing here. And I think, I don't know if it's the performance because it could be, I, I think with Anna Kendrick, I, I half agree with this casting and I half don't in a way okay. that's very different from how I feel about Daniel Day Kim in this and Tony Collette and Shamir Anderson. I, I couldn't imagine anybody else in those roles. Like they are, they, I feel like they are just like into those characters and I don't see the actors. I mostly saw Anna Kendrick in this and it's not that I didn't buy her as an astronaut or her as this doctor. I think she kind of nails the astronaut portion. I just think like they try to do this thing where she's the happy go lucky cheer everybody up character, but then the movie forgets about that half the time. And there's just something yeah. with her character that just doesn't click for me. And I don't, I can't pinpoint it because it's, we obviously, we obviously know she, she can do this kind of role. We've seen her do this kind mm -hmm. of role before. I don't know if that's part of it. If there's like a narrative to her arc as an actress, that's informing the way we view her in these sorts of things. It makes it difficult to, by her as somebody who isn't acting in a kind of movie that is less serious than this, if that makes sense. Well, I mean, I feel like every major actor or actress in Hollywood has to do at least one space movie uh, to kind of solidify themselves. I feel like it's it's kind of almost a ray of passage at this point. But um, I do agree with you in the sense that, like, it does feel like there's like one or two key scenes that are missing or like that maybe would have sold that transition more, but it just kind of feels abrupt that her character. Yeah. There's just something about there that just doesn't, that doesn't quite click all the way, but I don't think that's a fault of her performance. I actually thought she was really great in this and um, I was really impressed with how she was able to carry this movie. It just felt like it. Yeah. Like you're saying like it, because it's, it's kind of at once, uh, a character film and an ensemble piece. I just don't think it really finds that balance to the point where it's like, I think it's better when it's focused on the ensemble and we kind of get everyone's perspective. But when at the end it's supposed to be more of like a character moment, I just don't think there was enough time spent developing that to really earn or justify that. Like you said, on paper, I think it makes sense. And, you know, it's not like I said, anything super original or imaginative, but it, it there is a, it, it doesn't feel like I'm totally out of place, but it just feels like something there just wasn't fully realized to make that moment sing in a way that would have really, you know, like made this movie quite good. Uh, it, as it is, I think it's just like a, a good to pretty good film that, that is on the verge of being a little bit better. I, I think it's, it's a little bit better than middling. I, it's weird because I think everything on paper here makes sense, including casting Anna Kendrick. And yeah. I think that like the whole, j just the way that they like set these characters up and put them in these pods, the production design of it, like it, it's all really good ideas. I, I just don't know what it is about the way it's delivered that for most of the movie, I just felt a little down from it. I felt a little bit like it was kind of saccharine and it was just there were times when I felt like it was just oppressive about its points and I think it has kind of this message that's trying to come through where Anna Kendrick's character is almost like a you know she's basically Steve Rogers I mean she's kind of like coming at things from like an angle of like look like human life is precious but I don't know it brings these things up but it just never really goes all the way with exploring these difficult ideas and these difficult questions. 
And I think the movie kind of struggles to to put that on her character because she has to be so moral and valiant. And I think that there, there's just something missing with like what rounds her. And it's it's very it's very tricky because it's a movie that I I personally would recommend to a lot of people. I'd be like, yeah, you know, check it out. I but I would warn them like it's it's not a feel good movie. You know, it, it's it's not The Martian. It's not the kind of movie where you're going to watch it and be like, humanity, you know, can do it. It's it's a little bit more, it's a little darker than that. There's a lot of dark stuff in this, but sometimes it's like kind of dressed up in a less dark way. So it's, you know, it, it's kind of a confusing thing to recommend. I, I don't know who I would recommend it to, honestly, except for people who just, hey, look, if you like a really good space movie, this is a this is definitely that kind of thing. I think this is definitely up anybody's alley who likes things like Ad Astra and Martian gravity, stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I would agree in that, like, I feel like if, if someone I know really likes space movies and I was like, well, have you watched Ad Astra? Have you watched High Rise? Have you watched The Martian? And you kind of run down the list of other recent space movies that are better than this. I'd be like, well, have you watched Stowaway? Because I think, I think it is worth recommending. I agree with you that I think it's a solid film and I, I think especially better than um, two of the more recent uh, space movies we got, which were Voyagers and The Midnight Sky, which I found to be... I found those movies to be more middling. I don't know if I, I don't think I use the term middling for this, like, but I, I don't believe it's one that is, uh, like I said, I think it's a pretty good film by and large. And I, I actually think most of it works well, or if not really well. Um, I just think the end, like you said, I think by and large, I wouldn't use Sacrin to describe the film, but I think the end kind of verges into that. And it just feels a bit jarring because it, it feels like it, 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 it earned like this big emotion moment that I just don't, think it really had built up before that like before like for two-thirds of the movie it's a fairly kind of uh, clinical you know economical film that that's relying a lot on like kind of sub subdued character moments and you know reasonable minded characters trying to like kind of figure things out in a pragmatic way and then it goes for like an emotional like ending point that that just kind of feels like a uh, tonal left turn from where we were, you know, 80 minutes prior. And so, like, I, I think most of it, like I said, I think it's pretty much there. I just think if they had nailed that ending uh, and made it worthy of, like, having a big emotional moment or, like, feeling a little bit more cohesive in its style, I think this would have been uh, worthy of the other films I mentioned. But as it is, I think it's still a, a solid film and one I would recommend as well. Yeah, I mentioned a TV movie earlier. That was definitely my feeling throughout a lot of it. I was watching it and I was like, hey, this feels like a TV movie when I was a kid, you know, in the 90s. I might have like walked downstairs and like watched with my my dad or my mom or something. And like, even though I'm like halfway into it, I would have been interested. It's just like it's it's that kind of premise that those that an interesting TV movie is like based on. It's not that ambitious. It's not extremely cinematic gotta see it on the big screen especially because most of the film with the exception of like one or two set pieces is in a very enclosed space and that's kind of the point and you're not supposed to be feeling like wrapped up in everything it, it's more about paying attention to the characters and everything like that which works for something like a tv movie because it's it's a little bit it's it's low budget it's it's low it's small scale to the point where while I was watching this, I was like, man, did they make this during COVID? You could make something like this during COVID because you don't really need a lot of, you know, bells and whistles for this kind of production. But no, they actually made it in 2019. So <laughs> it definitely is not a COVID movie, but it definitely opened my mind to the possibilities of like how people are going to be able to, you know, as we continue to get vaccinated and all that stuff, 
uh, be able to have like larger groups of people and and make movies that can be made in more innovative ways that get around some of the issues that we've been dealing with. So on that on that level, you know, I I, I think this is a, a small, humble, respectable movie, and definitely definitely not one of the better Netflix movies. It's not like one of the big Oscar push Netflix movies or anything like that, but it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a an okay one, a good one. I, I give it like a low B minus. What about you? Uh, I'm also a B minus on it, but I'm going to give it a high B minus. Cause like I said, I was pretty, pretty much on the verge of giving it a B until about like the last 25 minutes or so when I felt like it, it kind of dropped the ball dramatically. Um, I just felt like it just didn't quite stick the landing there at the end, but um, I think by and large, like I said, I think it works and I, I do actually find myself really respecting what they're able to accomplish here. I actually would have liked to have seen this in theaters. I, I think the kind of claustrophobic uh, vibe that's going for would have been more befitting of a theatrical experience. And also, I just tend to think that space movies are better on the big screen, but um, neither here nor there. I, I, I do. I think there's a lot to value here. And like I said, I think there's a lot of things that I, I find myself pretty heartily recommending i just don't think it all comes together or clicks in a way that makes it a full recommend but like i said if you do like space movies and, and you like movies like this that are kind of more chamber pieces that involve high stakes and few characters uh and you know few environments as well i, I think this is one that is worth checking out certainly better than a lot of the other ne recent netflix movies that we've talked about on the show for sure all right. Well, if you are in the United States, you can watch it right now on Netflix. But if you are in Canada, you can watch Stowaway on Amazon Prime Video. It is 116 minutes long. Will Eschen, we ate our vegetables. We we went through the, we, we talked about the Bs, the B minuses, the Cs and such. But it's finally time to talk about a movie that I think is a true delight. This is, this is a movie I've been really, really excited to share or talk more about with the listeners. And this is, I mean, look, it's not steak. It's probably like salmon. I don't know. It doesn't have to be meat. But we're talking about Together Together. This movie premiered at Sundance this past January. You and I had a chance to watch it, Will Ashton. And I have a feeling, like me, one of your favorite things about this is it's only 90 minutes long. That was nice. Yeah. What I a mean, breezy it was a, movie. Yeah. I mean, that was one of the big things I remember from the festival was that uh, not only was it fairly short, but it was also a consistently lighthearted, goofy, you know, sweet movie, which considering how bleak and dark and long winded some of those movies could be I, in that respect, it was certainly a, a kind of nice change of pace. I'll remember that. I agree. It was one of my most pleasant watching experiences of the festival. So together, together, it is a comedy. And what's interesting about it is it's kind of geared up as a romantic comedy, but it's not. It's a comedy. It's about two friends uh, or two people who become friends, kind yeah, it's of buddy comedy, buddy comedy. Sure. Yeah. I, mean, I guess. Um, I mean, it's a film about friends, so it's a buddy comedy. Yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, it's kind of about friendship. It's, a, it's about how people become friends. Uh, it's directed by Nicole Beckwith, who is also an actor and screenwriter and a playwright. Um, she's done a bunch of things like um, she did the, the Tiger Saw record sing like years and years and years ago. And, uh, yeah, she, and I think she hails, um, or she wrote, uh, uh, gosh, what was, the that screenplay she wrote? I, I have to look it up probably. It, it's something that got her on the Sundance list, but I, I mentioned it because I think it's called Stockholm, Pennsylvania, which, you know, you're not from Stockholm, Pennsylvania, Will Ashton, no, but, but, um, you know. is that the one that, uh, Shirsi Ronan was in? 
Uh, ooh, I don't know actually. Um, I thought I, I thought I remember her being in a in a movie called Stockholm, Pennsylvania. Yeah, I, it it might be Saoirse Ronan. Yeah, I remember Cynthia Nixon was in it. Cynthia Nixon and uh, Jason Isaacs for sure. But I can look it up. Um, but I didn't see the movie. And it, it, yeah, that was her first, Nicole Beckwith's first film. So that was about, about six years ago now. And I will just say that Together Together, it, first thing to point out about it, another Sony movie we're talking about, uh, at least it was distributed by Sony internationally, but this is Bleecker Street here in the United States. And the movie itself it stars Ed Helms as this guy who's in his like late 40s or whatever, I, however old I think he's supposed to be in this movie. And he wants to have a kid. And the only way he can have a kid at this point, because romantically things haven't worked out for him. He was in a relationship for a long time, but you know, things happen. And he decides that he, he wants to be a dad. He doesn't want to wait any longer. And so he decides he's going to hire a surrogate. And so he hires a woman played by Patty Harrison, who can carry his child and say again. No, I was, I was excited because I, I like Patty Harrison. Very, very funny comedian. And she kind of comes into his life and they kind of, they kind of start off a little bit prickly because he's very overbearing. You know, he's kind of like, you got to do this. You got to do that. You can't, you're, that's my baby. And you know, that kind of thing. And she's a little bit breezer. She's younger, obviously. Uh, if you, if you're not aware of Patty Harrison's work, I mean, and in the movie too, like she's in her like late twenties or however. And, uh, I think, I think people recognize her from, uh, she's in, I think you should leave, um, shrill, we liked her in that Broad City search party. A really great comedian. And her thing in this, though, is that eventually they form a bond. They form a friendship. And a lot of people would watch this and be like, oh, boy, here comes the romance. Here comes the, oh, you know, she's is he going to fall in love with his surrogate? I'm not going to say what happens in this movie, you know, because that's po- that's the point is to watch it. But I, I will just say, like, please don't watch it for that. Like, watch it because it's more about, I think, two people coming together and realizing that despite all the things that separate them and make them different, there are so many things that can bring people together. And maybe not together together, but definitely together. And I just found it very sweet and heartwarming. And despite everything I've just said, the movie does take us some... some weird places it gets into some things about how when you spend a lot of time with someone there is that sort of unspoken question of like what is the the thing that brings us to get like why what creates these connections you know especially in this such a weird situation and one of my favorite things about this movie is just the fact that i don't think i've ever seen a movie where a transgender woman gets to play a pregnant woman and it's just it, it's not a thing like you can just watch this movie and I'm sure a bunch of people are going to watch this movie and have no idea that Patty Harrison is transgender and then just find out and be like, oh, maybe my preconceptions about trans people are built on a lot of bigoted stuff that I hadn't processed before. And so I hope this movie does that for them and kind of brings people around on some of this stuff of like understanding that like, you know, it, th- there's a lot more to the, the trans experience than like they have to be like these typecasted characters in movies and you know, like, gosh, like we have like Scarlett Johansson who almost was going to play one of them, uh, like one of the, I forget, I forget what even movie that was, but it was like a real life person. Oh, right? Robin Tuck. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, was, it was going to be, um, uh, I remember that because it was going to take place here in Pittsburgh. It was, I think it was going to be filmed here too. Yeah. 
my my thing is that like I, I I don't see why trans people can't play, you know, people who are cisgendered uh, in the sense that like they're you know the gender assigned at birth and all of that. So that probably one of my favorite things about this movie was experiencing like that was definitely a first for me and like watching a movie as far as I unless I've seen something else where that did happen and I just didn't even know because I just didn't happen sure. not to know that the actor or actress whoever was trans. So yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, in that respect, I, I definitely think it's very refreshing. And um, I do agree with you that the um, the kind of uh, the buddy uh, chemistry, I guess, between Ed Helms and Patty Harrison, I, there is something very sweet and natural to their correspondence. I, I definitely think as the movie comes along, uh, it definitely finds its rhythm in that respect. I think the best scenes in the movie tend to be when it's just the two of them bouncing off each other. Like you said, I appreciate that. There isn't a, you know, a forced romantic element that's thrown in here. It's not like something like Knocked Up where it's like them kind of finding their bond through pregnancy. But um, like I said, I mean, finding your bond in a uh, romantic fashion, I mean. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I do think there is something very humble and sweet nature about this. And I do appreciate that the movie is actually uh, exploring the like male paternal clock in a way that um, or whatever the what's the, the term like the. Um, like the like kind of like the the ticking clock you know what i'm talking about yeah i, I know what you're talking about I, and, and do they reference it in the movie i don't remember um have, i don't remember to... them mentioning it in the movie i i the only reason i i really like took special notice of it um yeah oh well, there's that movie called timer that i think it's about that but oh, yeah, um, yeah. um but at the reason i took notice of it was because um at sundance the director mentioned that was a, a point of interest for her to explore that angle because she found it to be uh, both unique and, and kind of funny and sad at the same time. So um, that was definitely something I, I took notice of and, and found uh, worth appreciating and recommending is that it was able to kind of explore this uh, male kind of uh, insecurity or emotional insecurity in a way that we don't often see in this genre. I mean, I think yeah. everything that we said there is, is uh, admirable and worth recommending, but ultimately I also think the film itself is... Uh, you know, it's it's more I think pretty good than good. I, I definitely can see why it had such a uh, stark emotional resonance for you. I, I don't think it really did as much for me. I I, I don't think outside of the elements that I, we've already talked about and commended, I don't think it's really reinventing the wheel too much beyond that. I, I found the the jokes to be kind of hit and miss, and uh, the dramatic moments. Um, I, I I think I found those to be a little bit more affecting than some of the more broader comedic elements. But um, at the same time, I think this is a pretty easy, breezy watch, like we said. I definitely think it's going to be quite a crowd pleaser. And I, I do hope that people get a chance to check it out and watch it. I, I feel kind of bad that it's coming out right now when, when theaters aren't really uh, being uh, pursued as often outside of the kind of more marquee things. Like this seems like something that uh, a streamer service would probably have a better time uh, getting to a wider audience, like something like Hulu would probably do better with getting this to a bigger audience in the same way that they were able to turn Palm Springs into a pretty sizable hit last year. I feel like this one will probably get buried in the uh, in a theatrical rollout right now. But, uh, you know, at the same time, I, I do appreciate that it's getting a wide release and I hope uh, people check it out. This is one of the few times I've liked Ed Helms in a movie. <laughs> I'll put it that way. I usually don't like him that much. And yeah, look, I, I, I think... The thing with this movie, and I agree that they're kind of burying this, releasing it like this in April. I, I wish this was like a summer kind of indie movie when it could have a little bit more traction. But 
I, I think to what you're saying, it's it's not laugh out loud funny. It's not, you know, it's not a comedy in the big sense. It's it's kind of like uh, We Broke Up, which I was talking about earlier in the show. It's a hangout movie. You, it's more about just like comfort food and liking the characters and just watching them deal with things and react to things and wondering how they're going to deal with one situation and how they're going to get along, how they're going to fight. I like the way these characters fight. It, it feels like there's energy to it. There's always like they, they call each other out on certain things. And I, to, to your angle too, on the whole idea of like a paternal clock or like, yeah, the timer for like, there there is a limit to like for guys in this way and what i like about the movie though is like it doesn't take away from the fact that biologically that is a a much harsher reality for women i mean that this movie constantly is talking about gender it's constantly trying to reframe the guy as like needing to understand that yeah you know it's it's inconvenient it's it's un, it's unfortunate that he's had bad luck with some of some of the ways that like life has treated the situation for him, but he's extremely privileged. And the movie is kind of about how he has to realize that as a guy, he's very privileged in those respects and, and understanding what Patty Harrison's character has to go through and respecting her and not just paying lip service to respecting her as a human being, but doing it through action. And I, and I liked that. I, I liked the setup of that movie. I could tell that that was a forefront in the director's mind here. Sure. Yeah. I'm that I would, certainly agree with that and and i think uh that's like i said i think there's a lot here that i find very commendable i just kind of wish that i had more of an emotional resonance with the movie itself I, I i think it's a decent film not only in terms of what it's trying to do morally but in terms of quality i think it's a fine film and i enjoyed watching it i think it's it's very uh sweet natured and uh appealing in that respect but at the same time i i i guess i'm not quite sure what allowed you to like full out love it in the way that you do outside of just like the general things that we're talking about. I, I, th I think it's the quirk factor. It, it's quirky. And I think that it, it comes through and it, I, I had an emotional resonance with it. And I, I think it's just coming from the fact that I wish more movies would do what this movie does, where it makes a lot of to do about how unconventional friendships can be way more interesting than the standard typical romance and i i think that like i i, I know one person i was talking about this movie with was like why don't we get more platonic love stories like it, it it's something that is really weird to me that we don't get that and i think that's what's fascinating to me about this movie it is the cliched kind of structure of an indie romantic comedy but it's a totally different mood it's a totally different set of circumstances in a way that I think is more honest and that's what makes it more interesting to me and I yeah I mean it's not the most noteworthy movie in the world it's not in, in a lot of other senses especially in the terms of its story it's not doing anything all that new it's not doing anything that's going to really knock you off your socks or subvert your expectations but I don't know I think that this is just a, the type of movie that hits my list for just kind of giving me some warmth and giving me some just uh just some good performances and some good writing a patty harrison performance that is hopefully going to wake a lot of people up to her talents especially in movies i'd love to see her career continue to blossom after this i hope that ends up being the case and i think yep. that they just that the casting here. here they they just they found an incredible chemistry between the two actors and it paid off
Yeah, I mean, that's fair. I can definitely get behind a lot of that. And uh, I, I, yeah, I mean, it's a, you know, it's a warm, sweet little movie. And uh, I, I think it is going to appeal to a lot of people. Um, I don't think it's one that you, like I said, I don't think you need to rush out to see in theaters. But I think it's a perfectly fine rental and or subsequently a nice uh, streaming watch on like a, you know, cold afternoon or something like that. But um, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I kind of wish I was as enthusiastic as you are about it. But I mean, for me, if, if I were to give it a letter grade, I'd probably give it a warm and infectionate kind of B minus. Um, I, I think there's a lot to value here. I, I do actually really appreciate how the movie is able to be gently curious in a way that's like not really searching to answer its questions, but just kind of like have a general kind of conversation about these things. And it's like, yeah, you know, it's kind of messed up that these things are like this or like that, that people assume so-and-so is the case and stuff like that. And, you know, I, I guess people might find it frustrating that it doesn't really seek to resolve it that much. But I guess I, I tend to find uh, movies that, that don't try to have like bombastic conclusions like I, I tend to respect a movie that's it's just trying to find the emotional truth of a scene as opposed to some sort of forced catharsis um for me I, I personally find that to be more endearing and worthwhile but there is a lot of like sundance qualities to this and uh i guess in a good and bad way that that i i find both admirable and grating um i just remember when i saw it at sundance i was just like this is definitely the type of film that i would expect to see at this festival i mean <laughs> yeah, i don't think it's fair. it's doing uh something outside the wheel um here but you know it, it's a worthwhile film it's it's very sweet um like i said and uh i think it's going to meet a lot of people well yeah yeah i i think that this movie it's in theaters right now i know a few people who are vaccinated and they saw it in a theater and one person in particular said that it was a really great experience you know it wasn't a packed theater or anything but there was something that i think can get a little lost in translation when you don't experience films communally that I especially was feeling like pretty jealous that I did that I didn't get to to have that experience myself I'm not fully vaccinated yet and even even when I am I don't I don't think I'll be rushing out to the theater anytime soon but yeah that said I'm a B plus on this I, I think that one of the other, only other things that I could caution people is like not everyone's gonna love the Ed Helms character I think some people might watch it and honestly just might have a tougher time connecting with how his character relates to our other main. And and I think that there are some things he said, he can be kind of annoying and it's, it's a very soft line. I think for me, the film pulls it off, but I could see other people being like, nah, this, this is a little too much. And I, I kind of, maybe, maybe they want to, the movie to maybe have a different energy or a different actor there. For me, though, it still works, so I, I'm pretty I'm pretty good with it, and I really, really want to watch it again. <laughs> I I, uh, I really enjoyed it. I, I wish you had liked it more, but I'm glad I'm glad you enjoyed it somewhat. Yeah, I mean, it you know, it's definitely it's not like a soft recommendation or anything. It's one that I enjoyed. It's like a hearty B minus, if such a thing can be a hearty B minus. Like I, I I think it's one that I enjoyed, and like I said, I think it's one that other people will enjoy. I just don't. I don't really think it it rises above a a certain level of like pretty good throughout. Um, but you know that that's just my opinion. Um, you know I'm sure a lot of people are gonna agree with you and be as enthusiastic as you are. And I I don't fault anyone for getting a lot out of this one. I have a feeling most people will probably be in between. <laughs> I feel like a lot of people are gonna be like, yeah, yeah, that was like a B. That's that's my expectation. Makes sense. So, well, definitely check it out if you're interested and let us know what you think. As always, hit us up on social media. If you want to want to let us know anything that you think of any of the movies we've talked about, our Facebook, our Twitter, all that stuff is in the show notes. 
and we will of course be back next week to talk about so many films i so many films i don't even know what we're talking about next week because i haven't looked <laughs> well there is like we said i think there is mitchell's and the machine or oh, okay, the machine. Yeah, yeah. um i believe that's coming out this friday um i've oh, seen and, limbo uh, oh limbo and also do. without remorse yeah, yeah, I got a screener for that. I'm probably going to check that out the next day or two. So, um, yeah. yeah, that's a big one. Uh, yeah, I know there's like quite a few things that are coming out. Well, um, and real quick, uh, I have a, for Without Remorse, I have an interview with Jody Turner-Smith that comes out yeah. this week. So, yeah, I got to talk to her, and that'll be on Awards Watch. So check that out. Right on. Yeah. Sorry, I cut you off, and you are going to say other stuff. No, I just was saying like other stuff like there are other things that are coming out, but I can't think of what they are off the top of my head. Oh, yeah, yeah I mean, yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll be back next week. Thank you so much for listening. From the Internet California, I'm John Negroni. And from the Internet Pennsylvania, I'm Will Ashton. See you next time.